Welcome back to another edition of Why Hockey Periodical Podcast with me, Matthew O'Brien, OG co-founder, put together the Panthers preview for the Substack. Very measured, very realistic uh, Panthers take. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for coming back out of sabbatical and ratcheting it up for Why Hockey in 2021 for us. I was just going to say it is kind of depressing to hear that the, as always, dropped. Um, it's been a while since I've been on and been involved, but, uh, I think that time off, uh, you know, rejuvenated my energy and, uh, I'm ready to go into an exciting 2021, albeit a very different, uh, NHL look in 2021. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm sure I think all the team previews touched it, the podcast preview, um, we put together with, with Lichtenstadt or touched on it, but. What are your thoughts on these new new divisions? Would you have done something different? Do you think that the Canadian division is a little uh, gifted, maybe, you know, given that fan base a little bit of a, you know, there's less teams, so obviously they have better chances of making the playoffs. But Yeah, I mean, I, easier. I think it was, it stinks that they didn't have um, Seattle in the mix uh, when they went to something like this. Um, so the divisions are still... Um, a little off kilter. Uh, but I mean, they, they did the best that they could do. I think, um, you know, you're always going to have some weird travel. I mean, back in the Southeast division for a year, uh, you know, Winnipeg was in that division and that was awkward. Um, and I, I don't think it's ever going to be perfect. Right. Um, and I will say that the Canadian division has absolutely captivated me, um, early season. Those, those games are, are very fun to watch and, uh, I think there's going to be, as the season goes along, there's going to be a lot of hate um, going into that division. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's the good thing too is it's not just going to be Montreal and Toronto hating each other. Um, you can already kind of see a building with, um, you know, Montreal and some of the Western Canadian teams. Um, you know, Winnipeg is a strong contender. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting to see, uh, how that Canadian division shakes out, if it's going to be all four of the Western teams in the playoffs, uh, or if an Eastern team is going to going to sneak in there. Yeah, Montreal looks great. Uh, you know, big help from Nick Suzuki. Uh, we'll see how long that lasts. Um, you know, the one thing I, I want to see is how teams over the course of the year adjust in the Canadian division or the Scotia North, uh, to be politically correct about <laughs> it, uh, or corporate correct about it. Um, is, yeah, I, I mean, that's know, for uh, just to finish my point is I think in the Canadian division, you have a lot more three, you <clears> know, <throat> back to back to back or even four in a row against the same teams, even if you're switching home, you know, whereas in the American divisions, it's more twos and some threes instead of threes and fours. I think Vancouver and Calgary have play, already played like three or four games in a row. And, you know, you can see, like, to your point, how that's going to create some hate, especially, you know. One bad hit, uh, one cut jaw, one injury, something can really set the powder keg off. Oh, wow. Early season after all. <laughs> yeah. Early preseason games. And That's I think a- uh, the interesting thing um, about that Canadian division, too, is, uh, you know, by far it's got the most travel. Um, you know, it's not perfect in some of the other divisions. There's some, some teams that are a little further away, uh, but not quite like going to the complete opposite. Uh, side of the coast, uh, like, like the, like the Canadian teams are going to have to deal with. So I, and that 
when we get closer to the playoffs and get into the playoffs, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see if that helps uh, or hurts those Canadian teams that, that do end up making it because um, they they are going to have the most travel this year. Yeah, it's a great point. It's a mixed bag, and um, I'm sure, you know, you can look at – you can slice it one way and think a certain team or a certain division has a leg up or, or an easier way, but, you know, you slice it the other way, you might not have that same same uh, perspective. Yeah. Talking about, you know, the Jets uh, competing in, in this Canadian division, um, they <laughs> completed a pretty big blockbuster trade as far as – you know, headline names and and future potential of players to after a trade being made, uh, seeing somebody who got drafted second and third back to back in a draft get traded for each other um, across you know borders right now during a pandemic is is pretty blockbuster. Yeah, and I mean that's where I kind of lose the, the train of thought, I guess, on the, on the trade was you would expect, uh, you know, a two and three, uh, you know, line A and Dubois being traded for each other as more of a, you know, all right, we'll just do it straight up. Um, but then to include, um, Roslovich in the trade was, uh, yeah. And, and a, a little I mean, weird. <laughs> yeah. I, and I guess it's like, oh, well, you know, we talk about positions and centermen being very, very um, valuable, especially when you, we're talking about drafts. But, uh, you know, the team that drafted second and picked the player second is like, hey, uh, we want to pay another, you know, like a B tier second tier. <laughs> another first round pick. <laughs> yeah. An, another set. You know, we want to give you a, a center on top of it, you know, probably a third line, maybe even a top six center on top of it um, to 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 you know, basically redo our pick. And it's, it's, it's kind of absurd on, on those feelings. Uh, I'm, I like Dubois. I'm not sold on him as a first line center or like the next Barkov type of center. I don't see that. Um, I think he's a little more one dimensional and he's a little more volatile. And I think, you know, we've, I don't want to say off ice volatile, you know, because of this trade demand and the lazy shift or whatever you want to call it and the benching, but you know, well, you don't but, see but, that as much in a Barkov type. That's all. And, and that's what kind of confuses me as well. Um, you know, kind of on, I guess, from the Columbus perspective is you just traded someone that, you know, had relatively public beef with the coach and the team of, you know, he's not playing his hardest and all that. And then you trade for someone who has similar issues. And, I mean, I guess you're saying for line A, it's not as much of an issue because he puts the results out there. Um, and, but again, it's not like Dubois hasn't just maybe not enough and as consistent as Lion A has, but I mean, it just makes very little sense to trade for another guy that is absolutely going to publicly butt heads with your head coach, uh, who's already had to speak on this so many times, uh, not even just in Columbus with almost every team he's ever coached. He's had players that have demanded a trade because they don't want to play for him or they, you know, they, they're, they aren't capable of giving what Tortorella expects um, from every player. And, and you shouldn't expect, um, I think, from some of your star players. He, Line A does not need to work on defense because he's going to put the puck in the net on the other end. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree there. And I, I totally get it from, I guess, from Winnipeg's 
point of view, I think Dubois' father is a coach for the Manitoba Moose or is something in that organization. Uh, and he's from that area, if not, you know, Manitoba, if not Winnipeg. Uh, so you, I'm guessing, and, you know, he wanted to play on a bigger stage, maybe playing for a Canadian team with those diehard fans and everything is what he wants is or considers a bigger stage. So maybe it can work out. You know, again, he's moving from Tortorella to Maurice. Maurice obviously has can get a B in his bonnet, can, you know, take things out on his players and and you can get in his doghouse and everything, but it's not like Tortorella. I mean, he's moving to a more muted, mellow version of Tortorella. The but I agree with you that what's really confusing is the Columbus end. I know Kekalainen might think that, you know, Columbus is an area is a team that can handle this, but he thought that with Panarin and Bobrovsky and he was eventually wrong. He thought, you know, like Columbus is a team that when, whether you're drafted or traded there, players don't last long and they don't want to be there. And they're pretty public about making that known to GMs almost immediately. And it's hard to see how line a in his head, when he was asking out of Winnipeg was thinking, Columbus was the landing spot. Um, <laughs> yeah. So and again, the, the trade makes sense if it was just that one for one. Um, you know, it's a relatively even swap. And, you know, like you said, well, you get a hometown that's... guy from Winnipeg and, um, you know, Columbus gets a fantastic player as well. Uh, so that like that part makes enough sense to me that it wouldn't have been a story um, or it wouldn't be worth talking about if that was the whole trade. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but I guess, you know, you could say Columbus needed Rosalik because they're thinking they just are going to end up maybe losing value by flipping line A in a year or, you know, at trade deadline, you know, like, so maybe that's part of it. But uh, yeah, it just it felt like, I guess, to put a cap on this and a bow on this is I felt like this was something that like two or three people thought was a decent trade and convinced the general managers to do it by way of creating a big media bubble of, I guess line A for Duval has to happen. And I, you know, I don't know, or maybe that was just, you know, because those were conversations that have been happening for a while behind closed doors and they just started getting leaked to get put pressure and they've ratcheted them up. But it seemed like this was very well orchestrated and finessed and threaded the whole time and from everything we know about NHL trades um this type of stuff that usually not it's usually not this neat not this quick I mean people were saying oh well I mean this whole controversy around the Dubois shift and benching and and everything the shift in comparison compared to like Semin uh lots of other unhappy players and their shifts and plays over multiple games and seasons it was a lot worse than that one half-hearted shift uh, that Dubois put out. Um, and again, that was one game, and it was dealt with, what, within 48 hours pretty quickly? And like eight hours later, they were saying on the news, like, don't worry, he's going to be traded, and he's going to be sitting out until he's traded. It, it just was so quick, so everything, it was like a puppet show. I, I guess. Yeah, and, and I mean, like you mentioned, you know, I think because of the quickness, this was definitely a conversation that was probably had – um, at least once, if not multiple times before the season even started, uh, which, which does just make you think that, you know, wouldn't, ha wouldn't it have been better off being an off season move rather than 
what both teams now, or more specifically, I guess, Columbus has gone through in the first couple games of the season, uh, that's a distraction and, and stuff you just don't need uh, in a shortened, condensed season. Uh, and, and, you know, it will it will be interesting to keep an eye on Columbus over the next couple weeks um, and, and see how they play, see how it affects them, uh, and if there's any changes to the locker room or uh, you know their their effort level out on the ice, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if as far as I mean this this trade doesn't really impact Colorado that much, but as far as Philadelphia and Florida, two teams that were rumored in on one or both of Line A and Dubois, um, I don't necessarily think that this mean is the end of it. I mean, maybe this is the end of it for Dubois. I think Dubois could, like we talked about, and for the reasons we talked about, have, have a permanent home in Winnipeg, but I, I'm not sold that line A is going to last in Columbus longer than this short year. I think in the off season it would be a great time for Columbus to, to move him to somebody, you know, I guess he'll still be in RFA um, and let have them work out a contract with him and stuff. But I think that's really what Columbus is going to be left to do is, you know, pretend like they gave him the full sales pitch and he didn't want to stay when they knew full well trading for him that they were just trading for raw assets to later move because that was probably the only one, the best trade offer they were probably going to get. For yeah, and, and I think it's, you know, a lot going to be contingent upon where Columbus's season looks like it's going, um, especially as you move closer to the trade deadline they should be in a playoff position and, and maybe would want to hang on to, to someone like line a, especially if he can come back healthy and, and start scoring goals again. Um, but it, I, I think out of every division, uh, the central is kind of uh, at least, you know, maybe you give Tampa and Dallas, you know, the playoff spots if, if Dallas ever plays all their, all their games. Um, but after that, I mean, I, it's kind of open, uh, and I, you know, bias with the Panthers. I think it's between Columbus, Florida, uh, Carolina, and Nashville um, as a toss-up for the last two playoff spots behind Tampa and Dallas. So they could very well find themselves on the outside looking in and maybe just rather cash in on, uh, as you mentioned, the asset that they got in Patrick Line rather than keeping him and going through kind of this the same – situation all over again yeah i mean uh, to me columbus makes the playoffs if they can add another center they miss it if they don't um i don't i didn't think dubois was the best number one center for a team that wanted to make the playoffs in in this central division but you know now that it's max domi and two is texier i, I like texier and everything but he's young he's still on his dlc i don't know if he's a 2c with a domi as your 1c and then riley nash or 3c and then Kevin Stenland from Sweden, <laughs> which, wow, okay, he's 24, he's from Sweden, and never heard of him. And that's, I mean, yeah, he's probably fine and everything, but it's not the best depth at center. Um, and they're, this is a team that's rocking Michael Delzato in their top six pretty <laughs> regularly on defense. So I don't <laughs> About know. About six years too late. <laughs> yeah, so, that, so center depth becomes even more important if you're going to have a guy like Michael Delzato out on the ice a, a decent yeah. amount. So um, I, I think they need to find a center. 
I don't know when and where they'll they'll be able to find one in the pandemic, but they were able to get Patrick Laine in a pandemic, so anything's possible. <laughs> Moving on to Flyers. Um, if they didn't have bad luck, they wouldn't have any luck at all. As soon as everything starts to feel right, uh, and things are moving forward in the right way. Nolan Patrick is looking good in his return. Oscar Lindblom's looking good in his return. Konechny is playing well. Everything's going great. Injuries. At, once there's pressure, that veteran absence, you know, pressure from the injuries from um, Sean Couturier suffered that Couturier injury the, the ribs, um, and Philip Myers is out. Um, and, yeah. and those are at least the big, the main three. Yeah. Um, there, there may be some minor ones that I'm missing. Um, but I mean, yes. of those three, I don't think, of... I don't think Ghost is, um, that big of a loss. Um, I think they're operating fine without him. Um, it's, it's the Couturier and Philip Myers, uh, yeah. injuries the second that are really, <laughs> really and hurting. You're one C. I mean, you're you're not trading Couturier to bring in another forward like Columbus did. We just talked about losing a one C. You're losing him to a rib fracture two shifts into the season and what looked like a pretty um you know it didn't look like anything much, but it, it, it's <laughs> gonna have a lasting impact on, on the Flyers season. Uh, Myers, like I said, losing him, somebody who I thought took uh, a few steps uh, in this offseason and was really playing with an assertiveness uh, and a control to his game uh, that he hasn't had before and he needs to keep working towards, um, you know, that injury is going to really show the hole that Niskin and Lafton that they hadn't have time to fill. Yeah, and I mean, I think you saw it the other day in the Bruins game uh, where they got shellacked 6-1. to one. They just didn't have the defense um, and the toughness and the, and the physicality to kind of counteract what the Bruins were doing. Um, and that's where Couturier, especially, um, you know, Giroux did a, a fine job on faceoffs against Bergeron. Um, but you would like to have that, that extra center um, that is arguably your best faceoff man as well. Um, and then just the, the physical presence and the, uh, the presence in general of Philip Myers, um, you know, Friedman looked decent, you know, standing in, but obviously has a lot to, to learn and has a lot to, um, you know, improve upon before he can be, you know, an everyday top six defender and, uh, especially against a team like the Bruins that, 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 that just keeps coming, uh, yeah. and won't stop. <laughs> so, so Philadelphia right now is doing a balancing act. Uh, Chuck Fletcher has, I don't think, used any of his LTIR space yet, um, and they're basically 20,000. You know, they're on, on the edge of, of cap space projected out, um, and, and it looks like they're doing that to keep as much flexibility over the course of the year at the trade deadline, um, and maybe that comes in. You're thinking this year, trade deadline and all this movement, it might not be the best year to to kind of squeeze yourself, uh, but we'll see how it plays out. He, he's done a good job walking this in the past. They're at the 50 contract limit at the roster. I mean, there's going to be a lot of tightrope walking with the taxi squad in these injuries for Fletcher. So we'll get a pretty good sense of, 
you know, his ability to adapt and handle things uh, over the course of a, a short season, a sprint-like season. Um, so this is a good test for him. And, you know, now I think this is a good test for A.V. Um, you know, how can he stop this ship from falling apart? You were talking about getting shellacked, especially off the face-off and, and controlled zone play uh, against Boston. You know, without Couturier there uh, – you know, Giroux was definitely trying. You see the frustration and heartbreaking his stick over the post. Um, you know, and that's Philadelphia fans right now because they're trying to see will AV be able to stop this from sinking. They gave up three or four goals in that third period and the wheels fell off. Uh, that can't happen again when you're a team that's projected to be top three in the division. Um, your goalie's projected to win the Vesna or be a Vesna, you know, candidate. Uh, you know, the center you lost was a Selkie finalist, you know, penciled in, penned in almost. Um, you know, you got a captain who's now had more games played as captain than Bobby Clark. Um, there needs to be a little, and I don't want to put this at Giroux. I don't think this is a Giroux issue. Um, I just think that this new bench and coaching staff needs to show their backbone and stop this from falling apart early in the season. Um, because if they eke it out and just keep hanging in there, who knows what the playoffs, what hockey's going to look like or the world's going to look like when the playoffs rolls around, they could be, you know, ready to go and ready to rock in. And, uh, you know, the reverse of last year where they were hot in the regular season and lost in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, it's somewhat of a disappointing start for Flyers fans uh, after how they ended the, you know, the shortened season, um, you know, the, the regular, regular season last year. Uh, and then to get ousted, uh, you know, the way they did against the Islanders in the playoffs. Um, and then to start this year, uh, you know, I would say in their wins, they've looked very good in their losses. They've looked very bad. Um, and the, the fight now in Philadelphia is, to kind of close that gap to how they look when they win games versus how they, they look when they lose games. Um, you know, the, the overtime loss to Boston might've seemed close, but they, I mean, they were outshot, they were outplayed uh, for the full 60 minutes. They were lucky to have a lead and then, and then gave it away. Um, and then to come back the next night after all, or the next game after all of that um, and, and look, just as ineffective and, you know, not winning puck battles, uh, not, not really skating. Um, you know, that's not a great start to the season for a team that had such high hopes. Um, but this could be a good thing for Philadelphia, um, you know, with their, their cap space, their, their roster limit, um, and the COVID season, uh, hopefully Fletcher can, resist the urge that other Philadelphia GMs have had to, to make that one big push um, and, and make weird trades to bring in like a 40 year old veteran uh, to help in the playoffs for whatever reason, uh, you know, more so I would like the fires. I would like to see the fires stand pat almost. Um, I think what they're doing with their younger players um, is phenomenal. I, I, Morgan Frost has looked very good so far this season um, you know, who's also hurt. As you mentioned, uh, Nolan Patrick coming back has looked very strong. Um, 
and then all the, the youngsters on defense still, you know, will count Myers and, and Sanheim and, and all those guys as, as young again. Um, and it, it's more of a learning year, but that's kind of not what Flyers fans were expecting after the way they played in the, the second half of the season last year. Agreed. Where's your panic level here with this Flyers team with certain components of, you know, the organization or are you pretty wait and see throughout the whole year or, yeah. or at least through the next month? I mean, I think this year is, you know, you just kind of kind of have to roll with the punches. Uh, I wouldn't do anything too drastic if I were the Flyers um, by all accounts. I mean, you're a better team than the Penguins. Um and in my opinion, you're a better team than the Islanders. Uh, you may, you know, have some trouble with Washington and Boston, but you should absolutely finish in the top four and make the playoffs. Um, and that's really all you can ask for in this season. Um, again, we saw a kind of a crazy trade um, with, with Winnipeg, and I would be hesitant to to do things like that if I were a GM in a year like this. Um, you know, sure, you're burning years of, of a contract for, for some of your players, but it's such a weird year and, and can kind of go any way. Uh, you know, I think you're basically one one hot streak or one cold streak away from, uh, like, that. that's going to be the determination of the playoffs, is, is who can kind of keep it even keel uh, for the whole 56-game schedule. Uh, you don't, you know... It, it would be nice to get hot, but if you're not going to, you know, ever go on a run of, of five or six or ten games in a row of winning, uh, you absolutely want to make sure you don't go on a losing streak of that length. Um, and I, with such a condensed schedule, I mean, I know momentum and stuff plays a lot, but I, I think the coaches are going to be really taxed this year of keep a level head, you know, we're where we want to be, um, and, and you just can't. Uh, you just can't grip the stick too hard or, or be too casual. Um, th there's definitely a middle ground that you have to, to find. And um, again, you know, Philadelphia, I don't think really needs to do anything with their roster, um, at least for this year. Little less games. They've only played two uh, <laughs> with four postponed, but Florida um, has had a pretty similar up and down um, trajectory in their games with periods where they've looked pretty on top of it, pretty focused, and other periods where they've let the Chicago Blackhawks run around on them um, and, and looked unfocused and soft or, you know, given up weak uh, plays and given up on pucks and things like that. So I guess to just reverse that question, uh, how are you feeling about Florida starting off and uh, your panic threshold? Well, I think there's less validity after we saw what Dallas did in their, their first game um, where they came out flying and they were ready to go um, to the argument of, you know, Chicago, that was their third and fourth game of the season. They were a little bit more into a routine and, and it was Florida's first two because their, their Dallas games got canceled. Um, I like the way they played uh, in the first two games. They, I mean, they gave up a lead in, in the second game and that wasn't great, but they, they ended up coming away with two points, which again, really all you can ask for in, in such a shortened year. Um, I, I don't think there's really any panic um, w with the Panthers, mainly because there really weren't any 
um, expectations, uh, at least for me. But, you know, it was another year of, of mediocre and another year of 500, and, and that's fully what I'm expecting. Um, and the, the only bad thing is, you know, you would like to, to get into a rhythm um, in the in the early season. You know, I think you're seeing it with a team like Montreal, say, who has kind of gotten into a rhythm. Uh, they haven't lost a game in regulation yet. Um, and it's just going to be difficult for the Panthers having started, you know, four days later than they were supposed to. Uh, and then having another full week off when they weren't supposed to. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in their next game, um, which I uh, believe is Columbus, uh, a series with Columbus, which will be tough. I, I mean, those are going to be big games and um, you want to be prepared for it. And it's difficult being prepared, having been off for a week. Um, but, you know, again, I, I didn't really have, expectations for the Panthers this year um so so to be out 2-0 is uh, a better start than I thought it was going to be because again I figured it was going to be 0-2 after a series with Dallas to start the season so (laughs) good points yeah any any series I guess or games against Dallas Nashville Columbus um even you know Carolina um are going to be important I mean every game is important but those much, much more so. Um, one of the things that, you know, we're only talking about one shoe, so to speak, the, the the gaps in the schedule now. The other shoe that's going to drop later is when those postpone, postpone games come back uh, and are dropped in, and then you're seeing instead of too many days off, you're having too little days off, you're having too little practice, and you're having, you know, maybe three games in four days, uh, five games in six days, things like that, um, that can be a little taxing, uh, and make you break up, you know, Bobrovsky or whoever is the, you know, the hot goalie at the moment that Q's using, uh, and instead of having them play all the games they need to, when you need points, you're having them play 75% because there's so many back-to-backs that wouldn't have been there. Uh, cause I remember, us talking when the schedule came out and we were pretty happy that, you know, Florida compared relative to other people in the division had a little less amount of back to backs. Um, <laughs> yeah. That which seemed, that which is funny because in a normal year, they, they usually have some of the most, uh, <laughs> but right. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the unfortunate thing is presumably, um, you know, if I guess everything goes according to plan, uh, they're going to have to make up the games that they just um, had canceled, and you're going to end up playing Dallas uh, probably a lot closer to the playoffs than the beginning of the season. Um, and I think the biggest fear uh, as a Panthers fan is it's going to come down to, you know, like you said, those four makeup games, which are probably going to be over the course of like five days, uh, and you're going to need six points. Uh, to make the playoffs or something like that. Um, and it, 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 and to be fair, if that is how they end up missing the playoffs by, uh, you know, not getting enough points in some of these makeup games, um, I, I think that's still a successful season. Um, but that, that is going to be the biggest shame is, you know, you're going to end up piling these games on, clumping them together somewhere, um, that really isn't fair, uh, to the, to the Panthers team. 
Yeah. So, so just, so you're saying that were we to get down to the end of the season, they're playing at or around the Dallas, Nashville, Columbus, that playoff line level of hockey. But because of all this funky other shit out there this year, uh, you know, they just end up dropping one or two more points than they, they can afford to. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, mean, I think that's the biggest fear right. right now. Uh, I think you're right. And, and it, it's such a typical Florida Panther season for so many reasons. And, uh, you, you know, I think the worst part about it is instead of being kind of even keel, uh, they're already playing from a position from behind uh, where they're, they have so or many games, games in, in hand. hand. Yeah, games or games in hand. hand. <laughs> um Another and, year of that. Yeah, and, and instead of being kind of level with everybody, uh, you know, we're they're four point, they're four games behind Columbus already, um, and so no matter what, you're always gonna kind of be further down in the standings until you make those games up. Um, and with such a tight schedule, you know, I, I don't anticipate these games being made up until really the end of the year. Um, and again, that that's gonna kind of be the shame is. You're going to end up playing potentially two playoff teams needing a certain amount of points. We'll say four. You know, you'll be playing four games needing four points uh, against two playoff teams heading into the playoffs uh, instead of early season where you may have been able to steal um, a point or two here and there. Lost training. Uh, one of our. I guess is definitely going to be our, you know, pet favorites this year. Um, has looked really good as third line center. Uh, you know, I don't think he's played above that level, and you know, I, I don't think he's played below it. I think he's really lived up and cemented that. And it's nice to see some. Uh, it looks like there's going to be consistency on that third line. Um, you know, as much as possible, given, you know, all the changes that's going to have to happen with the tight schedule and taxi squads and all that stuff. But having a good third line center when that second line center with Wenberg and, and all of that's kind of up in the air uh, and Lundell when he's coming, it's a nice change of pace. Yeah, I mean, just to have a third line with Lewis Reinen, who is absolutely a scoring threat, you, you know, you're you're putting out nine forwards now that, uh, you know, three full lines that are threats to score. Um, and then your fourth line is, is adequate, at least. Um, you, you know, you are finally starting to see uh, a more complete roster being put together. Um, so, again, in a shortened year uh, with, with very low expectations or little expectations for me, at least, um, it's a great time. I would have been very upset if they were not going to be playing uh, guys like Lewis Ryan and, and Tippett, you know, fairly regularly, if not every night. Because uh, this year is just a, a prime year for development um, and, and to kind of see what you have down roster because you have the increased roster size with the taxi squad. Um, and, and there's just going to be so many more opportunities to kind of tweak your lineup um, in the name of keeping things fresh, um, you know, instead of people making such a big deal about it, uh, you're going to be able to scratch people. You're going to be able to, you know, work, rework your lines so many times. Um, 
and it's not going to be like a scandal like it would be in, in previous years. So this year, uh, you know, for teams that are kind of on that cusp like the Panthers are, um, it, you have to use this time for, for your development and to kind of figure out uh, who you want to be and where you want to go with your team. Two defensemen we haven't seen yet and could really change the complexion of uh, the on-ice structure and performance on ice is Marcus Nudevara and Noah Juleson. Noah Juleson they claimed off waivers, but Nudevara was really um, the big defenseman that they brought in to kind of see what they could see what changes they could make to the top four, uh, see if they can continue with that overall core. Um, of Ekblad, Uyghur, Yandel, uh, that, you know, that big money core they're kind of tied to. Um, and, and I'm really curious to see how that's going to play out. Uh, the good thing is that um, with these games being postponed, Nudavar is not missing games, uh, and he's going to be able to play in almost a full season, hopefully. Yeah, I, I'm excited for Nudavar, too. I think he's going to bring a lot of uh, stability to – I guess, you know, probably not the top two. That's going to be Ekblad Wegar um, for, for the full year. Uh, so so that bottom four, he's, he's going to bring a lot of stability um, to the defense. Um, and then with just so many other bodies that are capable of playing, um, you know, you can afford to, to rest some guides or, um, you know, you got, you got Strawman who's on the older side, Yandel who's, on the older side as well, and uh, maybe on his way out anyway. Uh, but you have your replacements uh, with the team right now. Um, and, and, you know, he's not the same as he used to be, but I, I don't think you can overlook bringing in Rako Gudis. Um, I think he is a type of defenseman that the Panthers desperately needed. And even if he can't play every night, uh you can put him in, in, in certain games and certain situations um, where it will pay off. He, he is a hit first defender um, and the Panthers have been lacking kind of net front clearance for the last couple years. Um, and you're hoping and expecting Gudis to be able to bring that to the team um, that they really haven't had uh, since God Branson left, I guess. Um, but he was, not the best at it. I don't think he was as good as Gudis is at, at banging bodies and moving bodies out from, from the front of the net. No, and, and I think what Gudis brings uh, is, a, is a high energy level and a higher pace of play to the team, and, and I'm sure that carries over in practice as well, uh, much more so than a guy like Ryan Lomberg. Um, but getting back to, to Yandel, what's your take on this Yandel situation, You know how it unfolded and you know, how you think it might continue to unfold and what kind of you would do in this situation. It, it's kind of surprising um, that it's happening now and didn't happen last year. Um, I mean, and that just might be the difference of philosophy of, of Zito to, to Talon and all that. But it, it's, again, it, it kind of over, it kind of is indicative of how the Panthers seem to be run where, it feels like the front office and, and ownership have more of a say uh, on, on on ice product than the head coach does. And I don't know how to feel about that. I don't, I don't really like that. I feel like your coaching staff should have uh, 
most of your roster decisions. Um, they're the ones that work with the players every day and, and, and kind of are more in tune to, you know, what certain players are like and, and how you can get the best out of them. Um, so it's weird that it's happening, um, but I'm not upset about it. Um, you know, Yandel played fairly well last year, but I, I never really saw him as um, a big part of this team moving forward. And you might as well try and get something for him uh, while he still does have value before he becomes, um, you know, a, a seventh defenseman at best. So, I, I mean, he's really only helping the Panthers by uh, the, the couple goals that he's had and, and good offensive plays that he's had. Um, he's been the same handle on defense and, uh, you know, he's been that way for 10 years now. So I, that's not going to change and teams are going to know what they're getting from him. Um, you just don't want to have it end up and, and be like a um, probably like a Chris Letang situation in Pittsburgh where he kind of outlives his usefulness as a as a top, you know, two pair defender uh, and, and you can't really move him and you just have to kind of keep him on board and hope his offense uh, outweighs his, his poor play on defense. Yeah, and there would be a lot of people who say that Florida is already at that time and you know as long as you know and one of the reasons it's, it's more of a GM issue than than a coaching issue is because it's about getting him to wave so they can wave him uh so they can you know and just not play him it's not so much an even just moving him or you know it's they can't even sunset him and hang on to him like you know like Washington did to a bit. Yeah, you know, <laughs> Washington has done with did with Mike Green for a while, and then Detroit did with him, or you know, um, Vanek you know, was done with Vanek, like where you can just keep squeezing the stone and getting something out of him because you can keep sheltering him, you can keep minimalizing him, you can keep giving him days off, and you know, giving him yeah, games against and, Chicago and, versus and I, giving him I games against Dallas. Disagree with. Um, you know, all of the reporting that was coming out before the season started was that he was going to be scratched game one and uh, break his Ironman streak. And uh, I'm disappointed that they ha have artificially kept that going. Um, one, knowing that it's going to end at some point this year anyway. Um, and, you know, on, on the second point, he, he nothing he's done has really deserved the ice time that he's gotten. Um, and, and at this point, you know, with the goals, you could see how excited he was. And to me, that was kind of a big middle finger to, to the Panthers team and, and management with, you know, you can't, you can't scratch me. This is what I do. It, it may not have been that way, but I, I don't think he's a big locker room leader. Obviously the guys were excited for him that he scored the goal, but, um, you know, I think the crux of the issue is he, he's, while the, or the locker room may like him, but he's not exactly who you want um, leading a locker room. And, and so it would have been better, I think, um, had they kind of strong-armed it um, and, and stayed true to their word. I, I think that's kind of the situation they almost always find themselves in is, oh, well, we were going to scratch him, but we played him, and then he scored, so now 
you know, obviously we got to keep playing him. You know, we saw it with, with Drieger and, and all sorts of people last year of, oh, well, he won, so let's play him the next game, and then he gets shellacked. Uh, and, and you drop two points for no reason because uh, he got lucky and, and had a shutout or, or had a good win. Uh, I, I just don't think they make the tough decisions very well. Um, and and I, I mean, the sooner you move Keith Handel, the better um, for, for for everyone. Yeah, I mean, I think just just because players in the locker room like Keith Yandel and just because he has influences an influence over players in the locker room that does not make him a net benefit to keep in the locker room and I think you know that's kind of what they were trying to tell him and he took that to mean that he's a bad teammate and then proceeded to get all of his friends and media to fight for him publicly, get all of his teammates in the locker room to push the coach to play him. And to me, um, who, you know, I'm somebody who always had to make a hockey team by being a good teammate, playing, you know, doing all the little things, being on the edge of, you know, a role guy, service guy, uh, definitely making a mountain out of a molehill just for a personal streak. Uh, so a personal streak doesn't die making it about you taking everything personally and making it about your feelings and things like that. Um, and getting your teammates to put themselves between their coach and you, um, doesn't make you a good teammate in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, if that's what you were so worried about, I think, I think sucking up, I think he probably would have shown he was a better teammate by saying, yeah, I mean, if the coach doesn't want to play me, the coach doesn't want to play me working hard. I mean, it, it might still be the wrong thing, but there's so many times that the co- coaches have sat better players for a depth guy over the years in Florida history uh, that we've complained about and complained about and have been told to shut up because, you know, this is the coach's prerogative. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're part of the team, sometimes you just have to trust the coach, et cetera. So, you know, it bites both ways sometimes. Yeah, I, I, again, you know, I just disagree with, with again, all of the reporting that was coming out that he was going to be scratched. Uh, that would have been the, the right move um, and well, hopefully get him to open his eyes to, yeah, I, I have to be better. Um, because right now I think it's just artificial. Um, and then, you know, you're going to have a tougher time and you're going to have a bigger backlash um, now if you do try to sit him on performance basis uh, than you would have if you just did it at the beginning of the season. Uh, yeah, because now it's just a return to theatrics verse. You know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, I mean, you certainly had the, the defenseman and the depth to, to do it and, and still beat Chicago. Um, you should beat Chicago every game that you play in this year. They're they're not a very good team. So, <laughs> yeah. Speaking of articles and media coverage, you did not like. How do you feel about media coverage on the goals that Bobrovsky gives up in practice and/or scrimmages? Because there is a couple paragraphs denoted to Bobrovsky struggling in practice because he gave up a few three-on-three goals and a few scrimmage goals. Uh, the author, Jordan McPherson, who writes for Yahoo, a, a pretty highly read uh, outlet, um, 
devoted a few paragraphs to that and did not even say who scored the goals, how the goals were scored, why they were bad or why they were evidence of him struggling, nothing about his movement, you know, his him, you know, being on his angles or off his angles or slow or having no stamina or things like that. Um, how do you feel about that type of media coverage? Um, pointless. Um, <laughs> you know, I know you want to practice how you play and all that, but you know, the fact of the matter is it's practice and, um, you know, one, you're, you're playing against guys that are familiar with, with you and your habits. So it's a little easier to score on your own goalie in practice than it is for opponents to score on them. Um, and you know, three, three on three, uh, that's a situation that Panthers have already earned a point. So, um, you know, if you want to give up a three-on-three goal, not that big of a deal. How many three-on-three goals do you know that are ridiculous, you know, ridiculous two-on-ones, two-on-ones? And if you're going to report on that, then at least give me the background of, you know, who was uh, who was in front of Barofsky, how, how hard were they back-checking, uh, were they just letting him go in basically three-on-o and, and pass around? And um, No, yeah. I, I, I don't take much stock in that. Um, you know, Bobrovsky looked fine against Chicago. Uh, you know, maybe one goal uh, would have liked back, but um, I think every yeah. goalie has that every game. Um, I mean, yeah. and, and I mean, that's the early days. Bob. You know, he you know didn't join the team until late. Uh, he didn't start the first game of the season, um, and he's only played one game in the NHL this year. So, I mean. I, I, I don't know what other people want. They had, what, nine months or six months off or whatever uh, in between his last game and, and the first game that he played, and that's with basically no training camp and, and no practices and no scrimmages. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, Bob well, was still definitely, Bob's still definitely the, the number one goalie, and, um, yeah, I, yeah, I mean – Goalies don't try and practice. My evidence and the defense in front of them don't always try or are always tired. Um, my evidence on why scrimmages and practices don't really matter. Um, if you went by scrimmages and practices, Matimbo yeah. by far would have been the backup and played the first game against Chicago because Dreger looked absolutely terrible in the scrimmage. By all accounts, was not the best goalie in the practices either, and yet was Q's pick for game one to open the season. And I mean, other than being too slow to really handle uh, five like penalty kill situations when, you know, it's a five on four and teams can really set up and pick you apart post to post without, you know, that extra uh, support. I mean, that's really his biggest weakness. But, uh, you know, he looked fine in his first game, just like Bobrovsky looked fine. They both had they both probably gave up a goal they should have saved and they both probably wish they played better what can you do but at the end of the day you got you got two points in both games and uh that that's all that matters and, it doesn't no matter points, what your goalie looks like and uh, and at points in both games i thought dreger and Pabrowski made saves that i was not expecting them to make and i was expecting to be in the net so the other yeah. you know on the other hand end of it and you know it was okay and i feel like their goaltending is going to be fine, I hope. But, you know, if this is, 
you know, four weeks into the season and Bobrovsky's giving up more bad goals than making good saves, then we'll have this conversation. Well, and, uh, and I think the thing that people choose to ignore um, over last season and, and so far to start this season about Sergei Bobrovsky, um, he came from two teams that had a vastly better defense uh, and better team defense than the Panthers did. And while he makes, you know, some, some very great saves and lets in some stinkers, uh, he did that on, on those other teams as well. Uh, he faces a lot more high quality chances behind the Panthers than he did um, in Philadelphia or Columbus. Uh, and, and so it, when people are so quick to point their finger at the goalie, uh, you do have to kind of look at the overall team. And especially last year, uh, when Bob wasn't his best, uh, he still performed better than would be expected behind a defenseman or behind a defense that was the Panthers. I, I, I mean, they, they were brutal on defense last year. Yeah. And I mean, but I mean, if you think about it, they have Riley Stillman in the AHL right now because of this Yandel situation. When I bet you Quinville would rather be playing Stillman. So, or if, you know, New Navarro was in, or if New Navarro and Yulson and Forsling and Stillman were available, is the defense that much better? So it's kind of one of those things like we really have to wait and see even more. I know it's been over a year since we got Borowski and we want to see if he's actually going to be good or if he's going to be bad or whatever forever. Um, you still have to wait more. It sucks. But, you know, like we said, Nudavara hasn't gotten in yet. Jolson hasn't gotten in yet. The Yandel situations. Yeah. Ongoing. And I don't think you can ignore that, uh, you know, for the fifth straight season, uh, you know, they brought in almost half a team new. Uh, so you're and still over again, half the bench of new coaches. Yeah, so Paul you're Samuelson's still learning. Uh, you know, the players are still learning the system. As uh, if you're Bobrovsky, you're still learning the tendencies of of the players that you have in front of you. Uh, there's not a lot of constant, you know, from year to year. So it's very difficult for a goalie. You know, usually you can go into the year saying, "Okay, my winger is going to." block this shot or you know my defenseman's not going to let this pass through uh and you just don't have that trust there yet uh from Bobrovsky to to the rest of the team and that's where you see some of these goals that could be stopped or should be stopped uh going in because you know he's cheating for the pass because he he doesn't trust his defenseman to stop it um where in Columbus he was like yeah you know Seth Jones is not going to let this pass through (laughs) And there's when you constantly turn over your team almost you know half your roster at a time every year, uh, the the consistency and and everything from year to year is gonna take some time to uh, to to take hold. So I'm just pa- pausing to see if uh, oh no that Phil Kurashov just scored. I thought Pius Sutter. Got a hat trick in the Chicago <laughs> Detroit game, which I guess would have been the noteworthy thing from that game. Uh, yeah, it's been that, wholly that, boring in the background. That yeah. used to be the marquee matchup of, of the season was Chicago Detroit, and now it's. <laughs> eh. So, closing out uh, on this podcast, do you. Do you have any would you like to see this constant turnover 
end. So let's just say we get into a year where the year doesn't go as expected. It's not that nice. It's not that nice just missing the playoffs. It's a they miss the playoffs type year. Um, do you do you want them to have continue continuity for continuity's sake and try to keep you know Nudavara and Juleson and, and this decor together a little more and just make little tweaks? Uh, or would you want to say say yeah this is still not good enough let's add some more pieces let's you know change over let's get a new D coach let's do all this stuff what are your thoughts there uh, I mean I think this year it's one of the more complete teams that they've put together I think in the last several seasons um, they have the parts necessary to at least you know make the playoffs maybe not you know super compete and, and, and go far but um, I mean. I, I think for the first time in a long time, they have three lines that are a threat to score. Um, you know, they have eight defensemen that you can come up with some combinations or nine defensemen that you can come up with some combinations that uh, are, are good enough to to be average at, you know, at worst. Um, and, and you have Bobrovsky. So, I, I mean, there could be some tweaks here and there. Um, but at some point you do just have to, uh, you know, kind of hands off approach and let your team grow and develop together. Um, that's where you're seeing, especially now in, in this day and age, that's where you're seeing the teams that are winning. That's why, uh, because they've kept the core together. They've kept a majority of the team together um, over the course of like a decade uh, that, they, they know each other's tendencies. They trust each other on the ice. They trust their coaching staff behind them. Uh, their coaches trust them on the ice. You know, you know suddenly a, 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 an icing with your fourth line on the ice isn't the worst thing ever because, okay, your fourth line is just good. Uh, and they should be able to either win a faceoff or keep the puck out of the net and get a faceoff. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't think it would be for continuity's sake. Um, and there's definitely still some changes that can be made. Uh, but I would like to see, you know, a relatively similar top nine uh, on for, on forward return next year, um, just to keep it going, <laughs> just to grow together. I, I mean, that's been this team's issue, I think, uh, or one of their several issues for uh, about five years now is, you know, it's always learning a new line mate or learning a new partner or learning a new goalie or learning a new system. Uh, you would like to see, you know, camp being more, you know, special teams or, or certain circumstances rather than just like, so here's the system we're playing because none of you guys have ever played this before. Um, right. And, right. And that's how you get off to, you know, fast starts in the season. That's how you start accumulating points early. Uh, so then the later games are not as impactful and as important. Um, I, I think that's kind of what they need to focus on and do this year is to, and, and, and that's the good thing about playing, you know, guys like Lewis Ryan and Tippett who are going to be fixtures on this NHL roster for several years to come is, you know, then they come in next year and they're already familiar with everybody and, and, and the system and can, and can, you know, hopefully just get off to hot starts. Um, and that's the reason I'd like to see Denisenko, um, you know, more often than not this year, because uh, I, I think he's going to play a very big part on this offense moving forward. 
Just for reference, because um, you mentioned teams, you know, teams that have had success in the playoffs are the teams that have kept the core together for, for at least a couple of years and, and built on that. So for the last five Stanley Cup finals, uh, you got Tampa, Dallas. Those would be two long setting cores, right? Mm-hmm. St. Louis, Boston. Bingo, bango. <laughs> Washington, yes. Vegas, no. But, you know, Vegas is its own little experiment. Yeah. Um, but then you got Pittsburgh twice on the east. Yes. You got San Jose. Yes. And you got Nashville. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And while you had some minor tweaks so on some of those teams here and there, it's, well, yeah, nine out of ten of the last Stanley yeah, Cup final. Or, right or eight out of the last nine teams. Yeah. Yeah. Have been relatively the same year after year. And uh, yeah. that's how you get success is, is – keeping a team together from from top to bottom and, yeah. and then minor you know, you go, here and there but if you go beyond that five-year window then you get back into dynasty kings blackhawks and obviously they're keeping the teams together and yeah. they're playing who new jersey new york uh philadelphia teams that kept their core together for five six years yeah yeah and, and yeah that's right mean. you know Florida and, and we're not just talking about like Oh, well, the Panthers have kept their core together for five or six years. We're not just talking about, like, the three good players on the team. We're talking <laughs> about having, like, 12 to 15 NHL players that all sit in a good role or where they should be, and it's just trying to plug and rewire and get it over the hump. That's and, what we're talking and about. And for, for impact players, too, on, on those Stanley Cup finalists in the last, you know, five or six years, uh, you know, almost none of them – came from free agency they were all either homegrown or trades yeah and, uh, and, and, and i think that's the thing that that really eats at me and, and i really want the panthers to stop is you, you can't keep signing seven ufas and, and and turning over your roster that way uh it's just not good enough. It, it's just not good enough the guys that reach ufa you know that are impactful are are almost one in a million. I I, I mean there's very rarely you're at least paying for them like they're one in a million. Yeah, you know usually the guys and and especially for the Panthers the guys they have gotten in free agency are the like they've signed seven like third and fourth liners and third pair defensemen. They, you're, they're not signing uh you know Artemi Panarin to be a a first line forward. They're they're signing Radko Gudis. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, and they're giving they have to give Rakos Gudis three years. Yeah, and and exactly once you hit that UFA, you, and even a Rakos you, you Gudis overpay has it. to go through a few teams before he's willing to go to Florida. Mm-hmm. And, and you know it's been no secret for the last couple of years that the Florida Panthers have paid premiums to to entice people to Florida. Yeah. And you they didn't need to, or they they didn't have to. Yeah, and yes, they've. They've been able to get a Verhage or a Marsha show or a Wenberg, but usually, um, you know, you can, you, those are the one or two that you should get in free agency. Everything else on top of it is what we're talking about. Yeah. So we're not saying you can't ever use free agency. It's you should be only going to free agency for that type of thing instead of trying to fill out a roster mm-hmm. through free agency. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I, let's stop here. Game's over. Big win for the Blackhawks. Um, 
I think they did give that hat trick to Pius Sutter. Uh, good for him. I don't know if there's any relation to Ryan or that or that Sutter family, not the or the, the Suter family, not the Sutter family. Oh God. <laughs> Hockey <team>. men, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for joining, Matt. I'm I can't wait to get back at this, Obi, and, and get you on more. Um it's it's a good measured Panthers take and uh it's something that we need to hear more of uh in this uh with this new team and this new GM. Yeah, hopefully I'll have more once they uh finally start playing some more games. <laughs> so thank you. Good night, good hockey. Thank you for listening.